Hey, hey, hey. Give me just a quick second here. We are going to be sharing over to our page and here we go. Awesome, awesome. How's everyone doing tonight? How's everyone doing? Connect with this beautiful soul and it's going to be a great show. So please tell us where you're from and ask questions because she is very open and willing to share her life with us. And I'm super excited about this moment. And she's very, she is a chameleon in, in life. She has done a lot of cool shit and um, she's not afraid to talk about it. And that's, that's, what's amazing. So I'm just going to invite a few more people to the show and uh, let's get our, get our people coming and then we're going to get started here. All right. So thank you for tuning in tonight, friends, because holy shit balls, guess what tonight is? This is our 50th fucking show. Can you believe it? Fifth season tonight. I, I can't, I am so honored and excited that we are, that we are here. Every season we grow, every season we share many new stories of people's lives that leave us awe-inspired. And tonight, my friends, is no different. Craig and I know you could be many places, but we are so grateful that you are here at All Fox Welcome with us. So thank you for being here with us tonight. I knew this beautiful soul probably 13 years ago, if not more. We were sitting here trying to do the math, and it was it's probably right along that number. She's a cosmetology instructor, a makeup artist, a retired fetish and burlesque performer, and she is a fucking legacy. Don't let her tell her tell you that she's not, and quite the spiritual badass. Everyone, please welcome Laura Mulaney. Welcome, Laura. Hello. Hi. Oh, my God. How fun is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my gosh. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. Well, I love to start at the beginning of everybody's story. So tell us where you're from and how you were raised. Um, I'm from East Tennessee originally, from Blunt County. And I was the youngest of uh, two in my immediate family. I also have a brother I did not grow up with. Um, so I grew up in a kind of rural area in Blount County. My parents were fairly open-minded people. My mother was from that area and my father was not and uh, was raised. We went uh, occasionally to church, uh, but was more raised to be spiritual than religious. Uh, my parents had a pretty strong moral compass and they were very loving and compassionate people and very accepting. So uh, the area I will not say was the most progressive but it was a small town setting. People were very nice to each other. And I was raised uh, very much to have an open mind. I love that. I love that. So having an open, open mind in a rural community, was that difficult? Sometimes it was. I, my family was a little different than a lot of people's family because my father was from uh, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, he and my mother were originally um, different beliefs, and he kind of, at one point in his life, was became more spiritual than religious. But I grew up in a okay. house full of books. We inherited some books from a relative by marriage. Um, I also inherited her tarot cards, which will come up later. Oh, my gosh. How fun. So I grew up in a house full of books, and they were never 
they didn't really censor what I read or what I watched or the music I listened to. They wanted to be sure I understood yeah. uh, what things yeah. were about, or especially if it was anything that regarded um, something that might be really negative. They wanted to be sure I understood right from wrong. But they were very open about art. Um, growing up in the 80s was an era of a lot of censorship, and they were very uh, adamant that that was not cool. You know, they if you don't agree with something, you you know, you can have an opinion, but to censor someone else's art is wrong. So I'm very grateful that they had that view on things. Um, and I think that was pretty progressive for the time period they came yes. from and yes. the time period I grew up in as well. Well, that helped actually define and create your future self. Absolutely. Which is just beautiful that you had that opportunity. Because you don't hear of that often. No. And and I feel like both of my parents grew up relatively poor and from large families. So I feel like they wanted me to have opportunities that maybe they didn't. Yeah. And they didn't want anything to hold me back. So they oh wanted gosh. to be sure that I understood not everybody out there is going to be like me. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Which is just absolutely beautiful because, hi, we got you here. We got you here, which is really awesome. So there was a bit of trauma there for you growing up where you grew up in a smaller area and you developed younger. And so being sexualized in school, tell us what that looked like for you and how that felt at the time as a, as a young girl and then looking back in hindsight. I, I grew very, very quickly. My sister's about seven years older than me. And, you know, when I was like 10 or 11 and she was 17 or 18, we would go places as a family and people would ask if we were twins. Holy shit. I grew that rapidly. Yeah. So I, um, you know, had this body that uh, was very developed and, you know, it, it made for feeling awkward. Um, I'm sure there was a time where I was the only girl that wore a bra that needed one. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I hit puberty very early and, uh, I, I remember I took gymnastics as a, as a young girl. And when I began to develop, I was self-conscious. So I quit, um, wow. cause I, I looked different in my leotard than everyone else. And yeah. How, was, how um, what grade was this? How old were you during this time? Do you remember? I, like fourth grade was yeah. uh, kind of the beginning. Um, I remember I w was wearing children's sizes going into fourth grade and I left fourth grade wearing a junior seven. So I had this yeah. massive growth spurt and yeah. looked like a teenager and, and was not, I was a kid. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that was kind of difficult and, and it seemed unfair. Um, Cause <laughs> I had, to, I had to deal with a lot of, uh, you know, things that other other girls my age weren't dealing with at that point no. as far as my body changing and yeah. you know having a cycle and all of those things so it was uh frustrating it wasn't always fun and then of course it it gave a distinct separation with a lot of the other uh kids my age in what way talk, talk about that a little bit well as i got older in middle school um there was some body shaming. Um, there were, uh, you know, things that were comments that were made that were not appropriate. 
Um, I remember there was a boy that tried to pull my shorts down, which oh my I mean, God. this day and age, they would have expelled this guy. Um, and I don't know what on earth he was thinking, but um, things were different in that time in that yeah. girls were not taught. You can say no to this person. And if they touch you or say something, then that's right. wrong. And you can call them out on that. That yeah. was not mindset at all. Um, so yeah. there was, you know, some body shaming and rumors about sexual activity that weren't true at all. Um, you know, when in fact I had no experience, I, you know, yeah. you were a kid. I was a kid. And so that, um, I feel like being bullied a little bit, I always stood up for myself, but I feel like being bullied a little bit in hindsight made me not really care what anyone else thought because I thought they're going to make up what they want to anyway. So why right. do I care what they think? Right. So, so you it kind of your truth. Yeah. It kind of afforded me a, a certain freedom and it made me a much more compassionate person. Um, I would never really, yeah, I would never stand by and watch someone be, be treated poorly. Or, you know, if someone says something that's uh, uncalled for, you know, I'm not going to stand by and listen to that. Yeah. So I feel like that instilled in me, okay, this is how I was treated, not by everyone. It was, you know, probably four or five kids that had some kind of problem. Uh, But it really instilled in me, this is not how we treat people. And, you know, if you see something, speak up because it's not okay. That's never okay. One of our listeners just wrote, I had boys grabbing her boobs when she was in school. She So she had her first bra in fourth grade. She goes, she learned to fight, broke a kid's nose, actually, because he grabbed her. And it's like, oh, you know, I, holy shit. I, I had a, I distinctly remember the boy that tried to pull my pants off or my shorts off. Um, I, I just wailed on him. I just cut loose. And um, when the teacher intervened, um, he was in really big trouble. And basically, you know, he was, he said something to the effect, oh, well, she hit me too. And the teacher was like, uh, you had that coming. <laughs> like right. you brought that on yourself. <laughs> so fortunately, oh you know, someone did intervene. And then after that, I think there was much more of awareness about yeah. something like that happening. But, you know, boys, I don't think they were super aggressive with me because I was very much standing my ground and I was aggressive back. Like I wasn't just going to take whatever, but I'm sure this happened to other people that I just didn't know what happened to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, most definitely. I'm sure. I think that's uh, very much the truth. <laughs> my goodness. So do you think things have changed over time looking back at that and where we are now? I think they have. Um, I think there is much more body autonomy for young women. I think they are taught from an early age. No one can touch you unless you say it's okay. If someone touches you without your consent to speak up, to tell someone you trust, um, that you absolutely can hold those boundaries. And I've even had friends that have young daughters um, take an opportunity that's as a simple coming of age thing, like getting your ears pierced as an opportunity to have a conversation about consent. Like, okay, you know, when you say it's okay for this person to pierce your ears, then they can do that. And no one should ever be able to uh, do anything to your body without your permission. You know, so sometimes in medical situations, you're in these various rites of passage that are a little invasive. Um, Right. 
right my, yeah. my friends who are parents have used that as an opportunity and i think that's great do i think there's still some creeps out there trying to cop up a feel oh definitely oh yeah <laughs> Yeah. But I think a lot of that is how people are raised. And I think a lot of people are raising their sons now to be more respectful, mm-hmm. to have an awareness, you know, to treat everyone respectfully. So yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, definitely improving. It's not a perfect world, but I feel like there there is improvement happening. That's beautiful. I like hearing that. <laughs> That's that is nice. That is nice. So you have spent most, if not all, of your lifetime around the beauty entertainment industry. So how did you start as a makeup artist? Well, I did. I did high school theater makeup, and I really loved it. Did you really? Oh my yeah, god! How I was, fun! I was a theater geek, and when I got there out are of no high surprises school, there, just so you know, no yeah. surprises. <laughs> This is beautiful. All right. That's awesome. So uh, I wanted to go to art school and that was just financially not even feasible when I graduated high school. So I went to uh, UT Knoxville and I was in the art and theater program. I went about a year and uh, didn't really love college. It didn't have as much of a creative outlet as I had hoped for. So I I took a year off to work. And during that time, uh, my parents actually uh, raised one of my cousins for a couple of years. Okay. Um, My my aunt was not well and someone needed to help take care of my cousin. So that changed the financial situation a little bit for us. Um, I worked for about a year. Uh, I had a job, a seasonal cashier job. And then. Uh, January of 1995, I saw an ad for a makeup sales position and I thought, I'm going to get this job. Oh, wow. So I applied and I interviewed and it just so happened I bought some makeup in this store and I was fortunate enough to look kind of like someone that had worked there that had left that had a baby and everyone was very fond of her. And so when I went in to buy something and I saw the sign that they were hiring I mentioned it and they were like, oh, doesn't she look like so-and-so? Oh my gosh. And I thought, I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> I don't know who this person is, but I'm going with it. Yeah. And so I filled out an application and uh, the, the owner who ended up being a wonderful mentor to me, her name was Miss Mary. Um, she interviewed me and she was very, very much a proper lady. She wore her skirt suits and her pantyhose and her high heels and pearls and her hair was perfect. And I was her like, on and just one of those women that really still held that uh, standard of beauty, that very Chanel inspired standard of beauty. Yes. And I remember her interviewing me and she said, why should I hire you? Why tell me why I should hire you? And I thought fast and I just said, because my face will sell your makeup. And it, I just completely pulled that out of thin air. <laughs> that was just me. Thinking oh my on God. Why. I love it. I love that. But she hired me and I learned a lot through that job. And I learned a lot about business from her. She was a very savvy businesswoman and a very kind person. And uh, she was retirement age when she hired me. And I had her store until she was 87 when she passed away. Holy shit. Yeah. She, the last couple of years, her daughter uh, ran the store because she was not in good health. But I mean, she had a legacy that she left behind and was very, very glamorous and um, always so poised and just a wonderful, wonderful mentor. Oh, that's so beautiful. 
And also at that first job, I had another uh, person in, in my life who became a mentor that was a coworker. And she was about the age I am now when oh, I started wow. working and I was, I was 20 and oh. uh, her name's Linda and she was a very independent woman and very, um, just did her own thing and really had a sense of who she was, um, still does i'm speaking in the past because i'm talking about the past but uh, we're still in touch she's a wonderful friend but she very much was that person that just didn't didn't care what anyone thought and was doing things her way Mm -hmm. um i had this very strong sense of self and of character and uh raised three sons on her own she was just a very dynamic woman and i was so fortunate to have these two wonderful mentors that were strong women in their own right, but very different from each other. Very, very empowering. I yes. think for for a young for a young woman, I think that's awesome Absolutely. that you had unconsciously yeah. stepped into their paths, which yeah. turned out to be amazing for you looking back. So that is really spectacular. Holy moly, that is really beautiful. And really I think beautiful. That's- that started me on my journey of empowerment, but also of um, having a passion for empowering other people. Yeah. Well, and I can see that. I mean, you're you're one of the most kind people I think I've ever met in my life. And, yeah. you know, you just, you, to me, you've always had the ability to stand out in a crowd without saying a lot. You know what I oh, mean? Thank you, you very you know, you can you can say a lot without saying a lot. And I think that part of you is just really beautiful. And um, to be to be able to mentor people now, um, I think is incredible, especially in the day and age we're in now. Things are changing so much, so much. The lines are all changing. Everything's changing. Nothing is nothing as it is is as it was. And I think that's what's beautiful about what you are offering in in society now, which is wonderful. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, I I am I feel very fortunate to be in a mentoring role, and that's sort of the phase of life I have stepped into now. Um, I think I began to step into that as an entertainer, but now uh, kind of coming full circle as a teacher, I have the opportunity to mentor young women. And that is a tremendous gift to be able to do that. It is. It is, isn't it? Especially the ones that are just starting out. I think that's beautiful. I think that is just so awesome. And it's very in- inspiring. Uh, there are a lot of what what young people deal with today is so very different than what we dealt with. There yeah. is um, a lot of pressure from social media. Mm-hmm. There, There is very little privacy in the world. Almost everything is out there for everyone to see. And I think that creates a different dynamic of pressure for young people. And then also, you know, they've grown up in very uncertain times. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't imagine my first day of school going through an active shooter drill. So I think yeah, there are different, isn't it? Yeah. There are people that have this perspective that especially Gen Z because the the bulk of my students are Gen Z. Um, They're 25 and under. I I hear people of an older generation than myself sometimes say, well, these young people, they're soft or they're fragile. 
um, or they uh, get their feelings hurt. I, I don't think that's the case at all. I think um, they are sensitive, but I think they have grown up in this environment that any day could be your last, which is uh, put your perspective very different than what I grew up in. They've had, they've not had a lot of stability. They've not had a lot of certainty and they've sort of had to um, gravitate toward what makes them feel secure and what makes them feel safe and happy and themselves. So I feel like my students inspire me every day. Some of them have overcome so much in their young lives. So it's amazing to me to see these people who I've had more than one student who survived a traumatic brain injury and gone on to do hair for a living. Wow. You know, that's tremendous. Um, I've had yeah. students who have overcome, you know, poverty or, or being very young mothers, um, various ailments, illnesses, uh, long commutes. I've had, I had a student that graduated recently that was driving two hours each way. Holy shit. School. I mean, there, there's a lot of these young people cope with that. I feel like it's really easy to sit back and look through a lens of someone that came from a very different generation and say, oh, these people are soft. They don't want to work. Yeah. I don't think that's the case at all. They're not necessarily lazy. They aren't uh, overly sensitive. They're not snowflakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I don't think I've heard of that one. That's yes. that's new. Um, but the, the world's a very different place. And the thing yeah. that I find that is the great beauty in young people today is they are very accepting and they mm. get it. Like when someone is different than themselves, most of the time they're just like, oh, okay, that's what this person's about. And they just roll with it. Yeah. And it's not a big deal. They're very much about uh, treating other people with respect and hearing about other people's experiences without judgment. And I think that's very beautiful. I think it is too. I think it is too. And I think you're right. That generation, it is it is going to be a different, a very different future for us. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't I, think that's a bad thing at all. It's just going to be, it's going to be something that what I like is society is being shifted. Yes. And I, and I think that's not a bad thing. I think we have to have a little more compassion in our lives. And I think that's that's where it starts is with that particular generation. I think every generation has its gift to give to, you know, mm -hmm. Gen X, we were the slackers. <laughs> like, everybody gets a label somewhere. We yes. were the slackers yes. and uh, we were lazy. We weren't going to amount to anything. And we've been the innovators. We've been the people who have uh, created life-changing inventions and technologies and yes and medicine uh, and all medicine of and big shifts socially in our consciousness and the same with millennials people have these bad things they say about millennials or gen y um and they're they're people who value experiences more than material objects mm -hmm. um, you know they're world travelers and they're people who are about connectivity so i think gen z i have yet to really see fully what they're going to offer, but they're going to be a generation that significantly changes the world. And I think they have a gift to give. And I think, you know, people who don't really understand it should maybe just sit back and suspend judgment and listen to what they have to say, because they are some very beautiful uh, young people that will be changing our lives.
I love that, Laura. I love that. I love that. Suspend judgment. Yes. I love that. I'm I'm all about having a judgment-free zone. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and and always in all things. Cause to me, you know, it's just it's just easier to live life that way. So what came first? The burlesque or the fetish? Fetish came first. So, so let's talk about what the definition of fetish actually means. Well, I'm sure that has, that has shifted over the years as well. Um, so generally when people say fetish, they tend to think of uh, BDSM. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there was widespread knowledge of this type of thing uh, 20 years ago, 22 years ago, 25 years ago, as there is now. A lot of people think of Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. Um, right, which not a hundred percent accurate representation. <laughs> um, but I uh, had stage experience. I frequented a show that was at a bar that was very um, all-encompassing. The all the weirdos hung out at this bar. It was you know the the goths and the metalhead people and a couple of Rastafarian kids. And gay people and straight people. And it was a big, diverse group of people that went to this particular uh, bar. And it had regular dance nights and it had bands and it had a fetish show. And so I'd seen this. Now, just to clarify, a fetish show in 1994 or five was very different <laughs> than something you would probably see today. I um, love there was, that. I love that. There was, yeah. There was no actual nudity. There were no mm-hmm. sex acts. Um, there were, you know, it was mostly um, choreographed scenes that brought to light a sexually charged scenario. But there was not actual sex in the show. So and there to, is now, right? Like now some, in the, some of, some them of them the clubs are. are like that. Yeah, some of them there are. Um, and especially if you go somewhere like Europe, uh, if you see a fetish show in Amsterdam, it's going to be very different than the <laughs> fetish show I was in 25 years ago. Oh, Later. my God. I love that. I love that. So so I enjoyed seeing the show because a lot of it was, um, you know, female dominance, women in power, women in charge. So it was fascinating. And uh, I went to some of these shows as an observer. And then one night, someone's assistant didn't show up. And I, oh. And I happened to have on a, uh outfit that I guess they thought looked appropriate for it. And they <laughs> said, you know, somebody from the, the show said, hey, would you want to be an assistant in this show? And I said, well, what do I have to do? And they said, well, I'll just tell you what to hand me, what equipment to hand me. And you hand it to me and you stand up there and look good. And I went, okay. I was 19 years old. I, thought, I yeah, love that. I want to be on stage. Um, and it went well. And so they had me back uh, a few more shows. Um, and usually in, not always, but usually in uh, fetish scenarios, there is someone who is the giver or the receiver, mm-hmm. a, a bottom or a top mm-hmm. or sub or dominant, if you will. They're, those things mean a little bit different things, but um, just to sort of put it in terms that people might understand. Mm-hmm. So at one point, a uh, couple months in, they said, well, we want you to be a submissive. We want you to be uh, the person who is uh, led around or spanked or what have you. And I said, OK, just tell me what you need me to do. And so they told me very specifically, we're going to take you out here and we're going to parade you around and then we're going to do this and that. The, the thing they didn't tell me to do was react. 
So um, <laughs> I went on stage and I did exactly what they told me to do. And the crowd was just going bananas because I was just like stone faced. Because I thought, well, you know, I, they didn't tell me they wanted a reaction. And I was used to acting like high school theater acting. Oh, my and God. So, how funny. So there was this perception that I was like unbreakable. And so when we came off stage, they were like, what the heck was that? And I'm like, well, I did everything you told me to. And one of them said, you didn't give me any kind of reaction. You didn't give me any face or emotion. I said, you didn't tell me to. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then they... uh they decided maybe I worked best as an assistant <laughs> and they assigned me to a, a woman who was in her forties who had been a professional dominant in the Memphis area. And uh, her name was Amy and she became a very dear friend and she mentored me and taught me all kinds of things. And back then the way things were structured um, because there was no internet um this information was not easily accessible. So you were to be trained and educated and earned a rank. Wow. Um, when you were ready. So uh, I was trained by Amy and learned a lot and learned from other people over the years. But basically I had yet another mentor who was wow. a very unique and strong woman. Yeah. And, uh, she taught me many, many things. So, uh, and, and about, Two years into that, um, I got to do my own show. I got to be the one on stage, the dominant. And that was very exciting. So it took um, two years. Yeah. Well, probably two and a half because I was a good six months in before they gave me someone to train under. Wow. And so, yeah, it took a while to work my way up. And uh I learned a lot. It was very interesting. And of course, part of it was getting a reaction from the audience. So there were lots of uh, different scenarios that were tried, but it was very themed and choreographed. And uh, so it had that in common with burlesque. Unfortunately, in uh, January 2001, uh, the, the laws changed and the laws that were made revolved around the, the laws in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I am. Uh, it revolved around liquor and beer licensing and what you could do in a bar. And it was made to regulate gentlemen's clubs and to also uh, try to sort of quell this movement because the fetish shows had become very popular. And there were a couple of people that were, um, probably doing some things on the side illegally that sure. they wanted to uh, put a stop to. So unfortunately, a few people that were not professional ruined it for everyone else. And it's interesting because those blue laws that were passed, they still affect entertainers today. And, um, you know, it's censorship. It is, uh, I don't understand how it's constitutional the liquor and beer licensing board is not appointed by the state. They are a private independent board of people. Wow. That, that is essentially in Tennessee, a self-governed industry, but the government complies with it. So I'm like, I'm really confused as to why these people are making or influencing laws that affect entertainers when our taxes don't pay their salary. Money, uh, money, I, money. There's money somewhere. 
Yeah, I still don't have an answer for that. And there's, you know, even today there are entertainers and venues fighting this because now the blue laws are so strict that, um, for example, uh, there was a production of Rocky Horror Picture Show that was in a bar that served alcohol and they had to um, edit out scenes from the movie. You can't even show things in a movie. Really? Happening live in front of you is ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. So Wow. It's kind of going there, backwards, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And there are people still still fighting this all these years later. That you know, the laws were passed in two thousand one and here it is two thousand nineteen. Wow. And uh so unfortunately that put us an essential stop to the fetish shows. And uh, I continued for about two years to perform in other parts of the Southeast. Um, I went to Atlanta and Tampa and a little bit in North and South Carolina and did some go-go dancing and some other things in entertainment. But there was a big void and I did nothing for about a year. I was incredibly bored. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, so, yeah, 2004, I did not work as an entertainer. And then in 2005, I got uh, I turned 30. A lot of things happened in 2005. I turned 30. The weekend I turned 30, I got the job with TG Bedhead. Oh, I love that. Yes. Huge for my career. And then that September, they sent me for training. And uh, I went to Las Vegas for world release. Yes. I remember that, girl. Yes. And we stayed at Mandalay Bay. And there was a burlesque club I'd seen a reality show about the opening of this burlesque club. I thought it was really cool and different and uh, went to 40 deuce, which is sadly now closed, but I went to 40 deuce and saw it the first night I was in Vegas. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is it. This is what I got to do. Wow. I went twice while I was on the trip, um, got to meet the owner, Ivan Kane, uh, who was very charming. And I uh, got to meet a couple of the dancers and it was wow. really amazing experience. And I thought, that's what Knoxville needs. <laughs> so how I was yeah. going to do a show in Knoxville, Tennessee, I couldn't tell you. There was one other person in the area that had uh, done some burlesque that had some interest in it. Other than that, the closest show was in Nashville. And so uh, when I got back to town, uh, I ended up doing a show as part of a Halloween gig. I did my first burlesque act November the 5th of 2005. And after that, I thought, we need a group. We need a, a big group of women to do this. And so I called up some some friends and some acquaintances. And uh, pretty much everybody was on board. And so we made this production and we just started doing it. And we had no idea what we were doing. We had wow. So I mean, maybe a small idea, but we had no one to train us. It wasn't like there were uh, readily available videos online like there are right, now. Right, right, right. You know, there were one or two big festivals in the country. Uh, to my knowledge, there were you know not that many people giving lessons. I mean, you pretty much had to be in like New York or um, L.A. or. Right. On the coast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. On the coast or big cities to do this. Um, so, you know, we weren't in a major city and we had these blue laws to work around and somehow made a go of it. And 
here all these years later, the scene is still going strong in, in Tennessee. That's awesome. So did you end up creating a, a group or troop or whatever you call it? I did. I started a troop. I had a lot of help. I had, uh, there were originally eight of us total. Wow. And I had a couple of uh, people who were instrumental in co-producing. We didn't even realize we were producing. Really? Hey, "Hey, let's put this show together. Like we had no idea what we were technically doing. We all had some level of theater experience or stage experience. And a lot of people willing to pitch in and help us. But I mean, we didn't think of ourselves as, being a big stage production, we were like, we're just going to do this thing. And we did. Yeah. It. Wow. So was, 30, 30 was a big year for you. Yes. <laughs> what a, what a learning curve. 30 was my thirties were amazing. They were, they blew my twenties out of the water by a long shot. Now this is, this is totally off topic, but this whole show is off topic. But so you're 30 you're set up for this big career coming forward, you know, like your steam, what is it? Full steam ahead on all this. Now, Mm -hmm. did you know in your heart at a young age or did this just come to you through, through, um, through time that you did not want to have children or be married? What did that look like for you? Well, I I had been married previously when I was about 26 and um, sadly that did not work out. Okay. Um, but I, I had briefly 